So Micah asked us to read the New Testament this morning. Uh, I think we settled on just a good hour of scripture reading. Um, we've got Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, and Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. For those following along in your bulletin, page three, you can follow. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is such a, a privilege to get to be here with you this weekend, and it was kind of Mike to suggest that I might be one of his favorite speakers. It's, it's not flattery for me to tell you that um, there are few men in my life who have had a more positive influence on me than Mike Tilley. We've known one another since I was a 22-year-old young married man, and um, it is, you can't know what a privilege it is for me to be here and get to speak to you and to serve alongside of Mike once again. So it's good to be here. Um, and I'm here with the fabulous Susan Willard. Some of you perhaps met her uh, earlier this morning. We've been married since 1986, so we're getting the hang of it. You are, you're in Ephesians, right? You've been, you've been talking your way through Ephesians, teaching your way through Ephesians, and one of the things that you've discovered is this theme of oneness that is contained in Ephesians. Ephesians 2 tells us that because of Christ's work of reconciliation, there's oneness. Um, Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5, the word one is used seven times, I think. So this idea of oneness is found not only, of course, in Ephesians, but throughout the scripture. And here in chapter 5, we find it again. This time, Paul is talking about oneness in the context of marriage. And he quotes Genesis, 
chapter 2 in saying, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and here it is, and the two shall become one flesh. There's oneness. I think Paul is quoting Genesis to remind us that this concept, this desire for oneness in marriage goes all the way back to the beginning, to the book of beginnings. Genesis chapter 2 describes the first wedding, doesn't it? It's, there's a bride and a groom, Adam and Eve, and there is an officiant, right? And he's the Lord God himself. And it's a garden wedding. It must have been a beautiful day. I imagine the Lord might have said, who gives this woman to this man in holy matrimony? No, he probably didn't say that because he knew the answer, didn't he? He's the one who gave her to him and gave him to her. And it is, I think, instructive that this first wedding takes place uh, in a garden because, you know, for a garden to grow, there are some essential ingredients, right? You got to have good soil. You have to have sunlight. You have to have water and you have to have time. When you have those four essential ingredients, you can, you can grow a good garden. You can grow a healthy garden. In the same way, what we want to do this morning is unpack briefly four essential ingredients that will help you grow a healthy marriage, a thriving marriage, the kind of marriage that you've always wanted. And luckily for me this morning, they're found in Ephesians. So we can, we can talk our way through them. If you want a marriage that thrives, you'll want to pay attention to these four essential ingredients. The first one is mutual respect. The second is extravagant love. The third is enthusiastic encouragement. And then finally, generous forgiveness. What do you say? Shall we walk through the passage and see what we can learn about building a marriage that we've always wanted here from Ephesians? As we do, I want to keep in mind that these principles that we'll talk about apply to both husbands and wives, to both men and women. And it's important for us to keep that in mind, but it's also noteworthy, isn't it, that Paul is specifically instructing husbands to love their wives. And he then instructs wives to show respect to their husbands. And that's important, but it certainly doesn't mean that a husband doesn't need to respect his wife, right? Or that a wife doesn't need to love her husband. In fact, we find other places in the scripture where those, are, those um, commandments are clear to us. Emerson Egerich in his book, Love and Respect, puts it this way. I think this is helpful. He says, psychological studies affirm it, and the Bible has been saying it for ages. Cracking the communication code between husband and wife involves understanding one thing, that unconditional respect is as powerful for him as unconditional love is for her. It's the secret to marriage that every couple seeks, yet few couples find. We're gonna talk about these four principles and we'll recognize that of course they apply to both husbands and wives. So let's dive in. The first one found here in Ephesians 5 is the key essential ingredient for a great marriage is mutual respect. It is of course mutual, Husbands show respect for their wives and wives show respect for their husbands. In verse 33 here of chapter 5, it's clear. It says that the wife must see that she respects her husband. But, but in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, you'd read this. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate 
as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. That's what the NIV says. The, the ESV says, uh, it uses the word honor instead of respect, but of course the idea is the same thing. We're both called to respect one another, husbands and wives, to show respect. And this mutual respect will start with an attitude and then be followed up with some actions. Again, from 1 Peter chapter 3, I love this. Here's the attitude that drives respect in a marriage. It's, it's this, that we are co-heirs of the gracious gift of life that God has given us. 1 Peter 3 verse 7. Um, I, like, I like how the New Living Translation puts that phrase. It says that your, your, your spouse is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. That's the attitude that drives respect. You recognize that in your spouse, that is a person who is highly valued by God and so is worthy of my respect. Respect begins with that attitude and is followed up by actions, of course, because respect not expressed is sort of missed. So respect is expressed by the words we choose, you know, words that express gratitude, honor, praise. It's it's the things that we pay attention to when our spouse is listening. It's the way we manage our schedule. All of those things can show respect to our spouse. Let's be honest, right? Life's busy. Complicated, a lot going on, right? Who's busy? You got a lot going on out there? And sometimes you forget the things that are most important, the things that are most significant, and sometimes you need to be reminded, don't you? A number of years ago, I was coming home from work, and you ever have one of those days where you, you knew that if you weren't careful, you were going to bring all the stress, all the frustration of work, you were going to bring it home with you and into the front door? You know what I'm talking about? So I was having one of those days. In fact, that day sort of ended for me in the driveway, finishing a phone call that was super stressful. And then I came into the front door. Our kids were little in those days. We have three kids, a son and two daughters, and we had a Jack Russell Terrier also. So he was like one of these jump up and down Jack Russell Terriers. So I open the, the door at the end of this stressful day, and I hear, Daddy, Daddy's home, Daddy, Daddy's home, and the Jack Russell Terrier's jumping all over the place. And instead of greeting my children, what I did was, sort of like Moses, I parted the people, and I sort of silently walked through. From the kitchen, we all heard this voice, the voice of the fabulous Susan Willard saying, children, I know daddy's home and you know daddy's home, but daddy doesn't know he's home yet. <laughs> Let's give daddy a few minutes, okay? Now think about that moment. Think about what Susan could have done in that moment if she had wanted to. She could have come around that corner and given me an earful and perhaps I would have deserved it even. But instead, what I got was a creative, intentional, thoughtful show of respect to me in front of my children that caused me to want to sort of engage with them. I went into my room, I changed my clothes, and I started getting jumped on by all the people, and that's as it should be, right? We should show that kind of respect to one another. It takes effort. It begins with an attitude. It's got to be intentional. That's the first key ingredient to a great marriage. Show respect to one another. The second one is, also found in Ephesians, it's extravagant love. There is a love described in Ephesians 5 
which is extravagant. It, it will cause you to be speechless as you read it, and especially as you consider somehow trying to apply it in your own life and in your own relationships. This extravagant love is extraordinary, it's exclusive, and like respect, it requires effort. You gotta do something with it, you gotta do something about it. This is a supernatural love. It's not normal. The love that, that we are to show is, is, Ephesians 5 reminds us, is somehow to be patterned after the love that Christ has for us. How you doing with that? How's that working out at your house? You got that all figured out? You know why you can't do that? Because you cannot do it on your own. If you try to express that kind of love in your own strength, on your own, sadly, you'll fail. And many of you know that, don't you? I do. I've, I've fallen short in expressing that kind of love countless times at home. I think this is, wonder, this is why it's so amazing, so wonderful, that this call to express this kind of extravagant love comes right after Paul introduces this idea of being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You ever think that, you ever wonder why that's kind of there like that? Paul talks about letting ourselves be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 of Ephesians 5 says, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. God will call you to do and be what you cannot do and be on your own. So he gives us the Holy Spirit's power to enable us to do it. The extravagant love that I am called to show to my wife, I can't do it on my own. And neither can you. Which is why we say, Lord, I need the power of the Holy Spirit to make it possible. There is a prayer that I pray often. You're a sharp group. I think, I'm, can I teach you a prayer? One that you might want to use in your life. When you find that it's difficult to do the very thing that God has called you to do, here's the prayer that I pray. It goes like this. Lord, help me. Amen. <laughs> Can you pray that with me? Lord, help me. Amen. Right? You ever had to pray that prayer? Lord, help me. Amen. Because I cannot do, I can't express the kind of love to Susan that God calls me to express, but I must. So Lord, help me. Extravagant love is extraordinary. It's exclusive. Notice, Christ has one bride and one bride only. And in our own lives, there should be nothing, there can be nothing that rivals the love that we have for the spouse that God has given to us. No person, no pursuit, nothing else can rival that love. And then finally, this extravagant love has to be expressed. It requires effort. I like how the passage says that this kind of love nourishes and cherishes. It's a, it's a, great, it's a, great, it's a great picture. It's a great picture of intentionally feeding and caring for the love that God has given to you, the relationship that he has given to you. It takes effort. You got Sometimes you just have to stop and say, I am going to show this kind of love. Lord, what? Help me. Um, this is now probably 
30, almost, golly, no, 20 years ago, I wanted to send a message to Susan that I was, with God's help, I wanted to be the husband that I was supposed to be. And with God's help, I wanted to love her the way I know that God wants me to love her. So it was Valentine's Day, and so we decided we were going to go out for dinner. And we live in Waterford Lake, so we live over on the east side of town. And uh, we decided to go out for dinner. I made a reservation at Brio in the water. I always point like I know where I'm pointing. I don't know where, I don't know where Winter Park Village is from here. Somebody, somebody point to where Winter Park Village is from here. Uh, yeah, we don't know. Okay, this way, good. So... We, we, were, we drove from Waterford Lakes to Winter Park Village. Valet parked our car, which is always so fun. Valet parking is like a blessing, isn't it? Now, while the car was being parked, I had two women from my office come and decorate the car. I should say it wasn't a car. It was a minivan because we had little people, and you need a minivan, right? So we got out of... They put streamers and balloons and all of this. We came out of dinner... The guy brought the valet, the valet brought the car up, and here, here on the windows it says CW plus SW, and there's balloons and streamers, and there's hearts, and there's all that stuff. On the rear window they wrote, still married, which was sweet. The point was, I wanted to send a message to Susan. I'm not going anywhere. I'm committed. I love you with the kind of love that God has called me to express, and with God's help, I'm going to keep showing it. What was so fun, I have to admit, it was driving home. I mean, driving home, and people are beeping and waving, and I felt like, okay, I think I'm getting my point across here, right? Make an effort, friends. Make an effort to demonstrate. Make an effort to show. Make an effort to express that kind of extravagant love that God wants you to have for your spouse. The, the, the key to a great marriage, keys, I guess, to a great marriage include mutual respect, extraordinary love, and then thirdly, enthusiastic encouragement. I, you find this, by the way, in chapter 4 of Ephesians. Uh, it says, let no corrupting talk, verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. The spouse that wants to build a great marriage is careful about the things that he or she says and, and recognizes that with our words, we can either build up or we can tear down. With our words, we can either encourage or discourage. And it's a powerful, powerful thing. Washington Irving said that the tongue is the only tool that gets sharper with use. And it's important for us to keep in mind that sometimes the things that we say can be good and sometimes not so good. Some of us, by the way, are pretty good at this, right? Some of you are naturally free at expressing encouragement, positive thoughts. Sort of it's an easy thing for you to do. Others of us are a little bit more reserved, perhaps. Maybe that's not really your style. You might even think that it's a little bit unseemly to be so effusive with this kind of encouragement or praise, but you know, between a husband and a wife, uh, the problem is never that there's too much encouragement. Uh, Dennis Randy puts it this way, praise can be excessive only if your words are insincere. Genuine heartfelt praise can't be overdone. 
And I think the reason for that is, is because the world is full of negative messages, isn't it? Every day when you leave the house, in your ear, constantly are messages that are discouraging, not helpful, sometimes even hurtful. And so why would I want to be another one of those voices in Susan's ear? But instead, what if I took that opportunity that God has given me to be a voice of encouragement, a voice that builds up, a voice that praises, a voice that expresses gratitude? I have been working on this idea uh, for all 34 years of our marriage. I grew up in a home uh, where sarcasm was an art. I mean, we, we called it wit, by the way. We didn't call it sarcasm. People who are not good at it call it sarcasm. That's our, our view, right? I, ha- I am the youngest of six sons. My mom had six sons in seven years. That's a story for another sermon. And um, we, would, we would highly praise that zinger that comeback, that comment, that cut. And uh, I was pretty good at it. And then I got married. And I remember one evening, we were living in Charlottesville, Virginia at the time. We were brand new married people. I was 22 years old. We walked out of a Howard Johnson's restaurant. Some of you know what a Howard Johnson's restaurant is, right? We've been having dessert with some other couples. And as I like to do, I was telling stories. And I was just entertaining the table, and we were having fun, and it was a great evening. And we walked out of the restaurant, and I said to Susan as we're walking to the car, wasn't that fun? And Susan said, well, it's not as much fun for me when you tell stories that make me look like a fool and you look like a hero. It's not as much fun for me when you're sarcastic or critical. There it is. This is, this, is the, this is the challenge that all of us face and that I face in particular. I have to be careful and in the power of the Spirit, I have to say, Lord, help me. Use the words that I speak to build up, to encourage, to inspire instead of to tear down or discourage. And a, a great marriage is going to be characterized by that kind of enthusiastic encouragement. And by the way, the, the, the opportunity that you have to speak into the life of your spouse is, is special. No one else has, has the ability to say what you can say. So go for it. Fourth ingredient, final one, to I think a, a great marriage, a marriage that will thrive. Also, thankfully found here in Ephesians chapter 4, is generous forgiveness. Verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be taken away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I love the quote that's in your bulletin from Ruth Graham. So smart. She said, A happy marriage is the union of two good forgivers. Isn't that brilliant? You know why that makes so much sense? It's because seeking and granting forgiveness should just be normal in a marriage. 
It just should be normal, kind of common, sort of every day even. Do you know why? Because we offend each other. We say things we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. And so seeking and granting forgiveness shouldn't be this, this unusual thing. It should be sort of the, the, the backstory of our marriage, constantly doing that. You know, I have a confession to make. Can I do, is this a safe place, Mike? Can I make a confession? In my marriage, I often have a guilty conscience. And do you know why that is? Because in my marriage, I am often guilty. I, I should have a guilty conscience. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't do. And I am so thankful when Susan expresses forgiveness. When Susan says, listen, I know, I, I, I say and do things like that too. I forgive you. Let's just get on with it. Let's get on with building the kind of marriage that God wants us to have. That is essential in marriage. Forgiveness, by the way, isn't pretending that something didn't happen. Oh, it's okay. It's fine. No problem. No, it's a problem. It's not pretending that it didn't happen. It's also, by the way, it's not conditional. An apology that has the word if or but in it is kind of suspect, okay? I'm sorry, but if you only, not so good, right? And, and forgiveness also isn't an automatic cure for the hurt. Sometimes having sought forgiveness and after forgiveness is granted, you still have to repent. You still have to repair. You still have some work to do. And that's okay. That's what it means to be a married person. Forgiveness rather is more that choice to set the other person free from the sort of the the debt of their offense. It's an attitude that says, I'm letting go of resentment. I'm letting go of my, my desire to get even. And by the way, it's an act of obedience. We are commanded to forgive. The person who says, I can't forgive, I have sympathy for them, but I want to help them. I don't want to leave them there because God wants us to express forgiveness. Seeking and granting forgiveness is, is, should be a normal part of marriage. Um, when our kids were little, Susan and I used to do this thing called have a coffee date. A lot of young families here, right? So sometimes you get the people in bed, right? And then you get out the calendars and you're looking at the calendars and maybe you're sort of talking about the things that are coming up. We used to do that too, a coffee date. And we had this coffee date, the kids were in bed and Susan starts off the coffee date by saying, you know, I just want to say that I, I'm just happy with how things are going in our marriage lately. And I began to think that this coffee date might be an even better date later on, right? And um, only to discover that Susan had something else that she wanted to say, which was um, pointing out, by the way, without being uh, overly critical, without being uh, exaggerating, she said, there is something I'd like to share with you, and it's this you're sort of blaming people a lot lately. You blame me for things, you blame the kids, you're blaming other people, and we're all getting kind of tired of that. Well, you know, that's a, that's a hard thing to hear, isn't it? Especially for a person who knows that it's true. And yet what I appreciated about what Susan did there was she brought it to the table, but didn't use it as an excuse to reject me, as an excuse to marginalize me, as some kind of pretense for sort of leaning into me to criticize me. She rather was pointing out, this is something you need to deal with. 
And what the message I got was, I love you, I forgive you, but this has to change. That's generous forgiveness. All those in favor of generous forgiveness in your life say aye. Yeah, we all need it, don't we? There's certainly some other important ingredients to a great marriage, but those four are a good start, don't you think? Some good things to think about, to pay attention to. By the way, as we wrap up, I'll just tell you two more things and tell you a quick story. The reason I think it's important for us to pay attention to these things is because marriage is, marriage is not status quo. There's no such thing as status quo in marriage. What I mean is your marriage is either getting better or it's getting worse today. It doesn't just sort of stay stuck. You're either intentionally pursuing oneness or you are drifting apart toward isolation. So that's why we pay attention to these things and we, we focus on them. The second reason I think it's so important, friends, that you pay attention to your marriage is because marriage matters to God. It is remarkable, but, but Ephesians 5 tells us, verse 32 reminds us, that this mystery of oneness between a husband and a wife is somehow designed to point out to the world, you ready for this? Your marriage... Your imperfect marriage shows the world what God is like. That's a heavy thought, isn't it? But it's true. My imperfect marriage is still somehow expected to show the world a little bit of what God is like. The world's watching. And they need to see models of people who are making an effort in the power of the Holy Spirit to be the husbands and wives that God has called us to be. That story uh, sort of became very real to me a number of years ago when I happened to catch Susan. She said, hey, I'm going out to get my hair cut. And I thought to myself, okay, here's an opportunity. I know the place where she goes to get her hair cut. So as she left, I got in my car and I went to Starbucks and I bought Susan a coffee that she likes. And I went into the place where she gets her hair cut. Now, first of all, I'd never been in there before, okay? And it smelled like something scary was happening in there. So it smelled like taxidermy or something was going on in there. There's women with tin foil coming out of their hair in all kinds of directions. Every chair was full. I walk in with the coffee. Susan is seated there. And I said out loud, hold on a minute. How do you think it's possible that you could improve the appearance of this beautiful woman? And then I started laying on all this blah, 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 thick stuff, right? Handed the coffee to Susan. She sort of takes the coffee from me. And then I walk out, mission accomplished, right? Just feeling really good about what I had just accomplished. And uh, later that afternoon, Susan comes home and I said, so, you know, what happened? She said, you're not going to believe what happened. The conversation that took place after. One, apparently, one of the women said, was that your husband? <laughs> now, what kind of question is that, right? Of course it is. Another woman said, how long have you been married? And, I, and Susan said, we've been married 15 years. And then I think a third woman said, wow, you've been married for 15 years and you're still in love like that. There it is. See it? This is the same Chris Willard who is clearly still not the husband that God has called him to be. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, our marriage can still show the world something about God. Your marriage matters. It matters.
Next week, <laughs> we're going to talk about communication in marriage. Because without good communication, clear communication, it's really hard to accomplish the things that God has called us to do here. By the way, we're not talking about more communication, just better communication. Sometimes more isn't necessarily better. As you think about what we've said today, I just give you a couple of thoughts, maybe some ways to apply what you've heard. Maybe you could ask yourself a simple question. Based on what I heard today from Ephesians 5 and chapter 4, what is something that I should start doing that I'm not currently doing? And maybe ask yourself this, is there something I should stop doing that I'm doing? And I think if you'll do that, you might find that you can make progress in pursuing the kind of marriage you've always wanted. I'm very encouraged to hear that, that Lake Baldwin Church is going to be offering the Alpha Marriage course. Some of you perhaps have taken the Alpha Marriage course. The content is fantastic. The atmosphere is really good. It's not only for people who would say, my marriage is in trouble. It's for people that would say, I want to have a great marriage. So I would encourage you to consider that if that's something that could fit your schedule. I'd like to pray for you as we wrap up. Do you know why I want to pray for you? Because you need prayer. That's why. It's hard to do what we've been talking about, isn't it? But with God's help, we can do it. So will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, we want to, in the power of the Holy Spirit, be the people that you've called us to be. To those who are married, Lord, I pray that you would help them apply some of what they've heard this morning as they pursue oneness with their spouse. Father, for those of us in the room who are not yet married, so much of what we've said about respect and encouragement and forgiveness, so many of those things can easily and certainly be applied to other areas, other relationships in our lives. So Lord, help us do that too. And we'll trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.